Over 130 residential schools operated in Canada. The first federal residential school began around 1883. The last closed in 1996. We Stand Together invites Indian residential school and day school survivors, 60 scoop and intergenerational survivors to share their truth. This project is an opportunity for those on their journeys of healing to share their experiences and perspectives so all can learn about the effects of residential and day schools and the challenges indigenous communities still face. My name is Deandra Thomas Hart. My spirit name is Ashkane Kasikwayo Kawechika Pestawat Mikisawak, which means young woman who stands among the, the eagles. I was given a clan, the Crane clan. I grew up in the north end of Winnipeg. I was urban my whole life. I recognize myself as being a Cree descendant from the St. Peter's Indian Band, which is now known as Peguas First Nation. And my father is from, uh, that's on my mother's side, my father is from Nisichoyasi Cree Nation, which is up north. So very Manitoban, very from the north, very from the south. My mother was a 60s scoop survivor. All her siblings were fostered out, and she grew up in a very Christian home. My father has IRS survivors, uh, his parents, my grandmother's uh, I have no living grandparents today. They all passed away very young-ish. Him, I believe he went to a day school uh, when he was a kid, but I don't think he talks about that much. But he was probably one of the first ones in that line to go to a public school here in the city uh, for high school and stuff like that. So uh, he was raised in OCN in the Paw. My mom was raised in Portage La Prairie Oak Bluff area. Um, and so she moved to the city as well when she was a teenager, 16. After being in a very strict Christian home, she went into the care of my grandmother, her mom, who was, she didn't go to residential school, but she was very affected by what had happened around that time. She was hidden away. Um, every time they had come around, they hid her in the bush and stuff like that. So she grew up illiterate. And then later on, she had lots of addiction issues and, um, you know, grew up with lots of mental health issues as well. And she also passed away at a very young age. And so I, yeah, my mom ha was very, very adamant about keeping her children in the home. Uh, I have two other siblings. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we all grew up together. My brother has a different dad. He is a Métis uh, person from Camperville, and he had a lot of addictions. I believe he probably went to a Métis day school, Catholic school out there, and he suffered a lot, I believe. Um, so growing up, there is alcoholism in, in the home. We grew up in the North End right on Arlington and Manitoba. So that was my hood. I always say, like, I, I, when people ask me where I'm from, I'm from Northside. <laughs> <laughs> went to school in the areas and went to high school eventually. But, you know, I never understood kind of why my dad was absent for a lot of the time growing up and why my mom was so adamant about, you know, making sure that we don't get into bad things and trouble and drugs and stuff. But... You know, 
growing up as a young indigenous woman in the North End, there's only so much that you can protect yourself from. Um, I've struggled in the past with addictions and, you know, drug use and stuff, but not, not extreme drug use, just whatever. Um, but I, I'm four years sober after my babies. Uh, I have a, I have a daughter. Her name is Benisi. I give her a traditional name because that was my act of reclamation. And this one is next, um, due in November of this year, 2023. Uh, I'm very proud of my partner and my family. My partner is a proud Métis man from the Red River Colony. And yeah, we met on the conference trail, on the youth conference trail. <laughs> so, you know, you meet people in good places when you're in those kind of good creative spaces. So. As a family, I think it's really important that we talk a lot about stepping into kinship roles and responsibilities and what that means as to be a mother and to be an auntie, but taking that auntie role seriously, uh, being a good uncle for him. So that's some things that I believe after growing up and now having a family of my own, I really want to try and reclaim a lot of what was lost because growing up, I... You know, I just went to school and no culture, no, no, you know, there was some Christian influence from my mom growing up, but, you know, I kind of fought with her a lot about that. <laughs> you know, I called my dad up one day and he's like, that's okay. He's like, that's not our ways anyway. And he kind of taught me more about the culture. And that was when I started really figuring out what that meant to me is that reconnection. I'm 28 now, but when I was in high school, I think towards the end of my graduating year, I was really looking at, so what, so what does this culture mean? What, is, like, what does it mean to reclaim stuff? And what does it mean to reconnect? For me, I think it was just about learning and learning my histories, learning my lineage, where my people came from and who I was a descendant of. Um, and going to more cultural things, going, getting more involved, I think... Uh, after high school, my involvement became very part of who I am in my career. I've done a lot of youth-led conferences. I've done a lot of reconciliation things. I think around that time was during the beginning of the TRC and the NCTR and all those discussions. And my father was the executive assistant to Murray Sinclair during those discussions. And so it was very involved. Um, and so I kind of followed that. I kind of, I, I kept track of that. And then I became involved through, through the programs and the projects I signed up for. Because in reconnecting and realizing who I was and the people that I came from, I thought it was important to uh, connect to those stories and to honor those stories and to share and to, as a young person and now as a mother, I think it's very, very important still that we teach our children and what that means and how do we honor them and continue to honor them. Today in my work, I actually, I'm part of a youth warriors group called, um, well, it's called Youth Warriors, but we're working with the Office of the Special Interlocutor on unmarked graves and missing children. After the 215 were found in Kamloops, I feel like that knocked off a lot of conversations about, okay, well, there was lots of devastation in these schools and there was a lot of hurt and they tried to bury us, but we're still here. <laughs> and uh, I've heard that. I've heard that from survivors and I think that work and my lineage of who I came from, I think that reflects on my role in this work going forward, just to really, really honor them, really see 
how we can share these stories seven generations from now. Because I think that's super important. We can't forget these stories when they're trying to cover us up and bury us, right? You're talking about reclamation and reclaiming culture and heritage. For yourself, why is that important? I think it's important because I didn't grow up with it. My mom didn't grow up with it. Um, her ancestors and the people before her were displaced after treaty signing, and so they were just trappers and traders from what I can, like from what from my own research and histories, I think, you know, they're, they're part of that, that they had their culture at some point, but then they lost it throughout the years. And so, you know, I heard that, that teaching, that seven generations teaching about, you know, what do we do today that affects the next seven generations? And what can we do um, to honor the seven generations that came before us? And there's prophecies being told and during this time, this is the time where me and my seventh generation now, this is where we start taking things back and start reclaiming that. So after I heard about those teachings, I thought, okay, well, it's my duty now in this time, in this era of history to start reclaiming things for my own families and for whatever great-grandchildren and people come after me. So now as a mother, even more so. You know, I have a daughter now, and I'm expecting a son next. And so I, I'm, I need to reclaim it for them, for their sake. And I'm learning my language now, but I'm hoping they grow up with the language. Unlike, unlike me, I never heard it in the household. And my, on my dad's side, they kind of spoke it, but, you know, they were cultural in a sense where... You know, they had retained their culture and their languages, but they didn't pass anything down. You know, they were taught not to. They were taught that that's bad, that not, don't, don't do those things. Um, and so there wasn't much discussion. Also, there's a lot of trauma on that side, on my dad's side, from IRS and family displacement and, you know, the, the intergenerational effects between family members. And so... I, you know, I remember sharing, like I shared a birthday with my grandmother, my dad's mom, and, you know, that was always something special that we like to celebrate together every year, but she wasn't really around too much. I never got a chance when she was living to connect with her as much as, you know, some other, some of my other family members had had those opportunities. And so I just think that, you know, just to honor them and their sake, I feel like that's important for me because they never got to share their stories or when they did, it was at the very end of their lives and they never got to grow up celebrating. And, you know, I think that celebration and that thriving of culture, I think is so important. Um, and I always, I always say this too, as a young person, I'm so tired of surviving. I just want to thrive uh, in my culture and in my, with my people. And we're, we're seeing that a lot now that more young people are picking things up where their parents had left off. And I like to use a relay um, example of, you know, they got so tired of just like, you know, trying to pass the torch and carrying it for so long that it's up to our generation next to pick up that torch and to keep going. And so I think in my role today um, is to pick up that torch and see where I can 
pass it off to and carry it in for for my next for my children and for their children and any kids and any cousins and you know people that we have in our family next and young people that will listen and I think that's important for them honor their stories and to honor how you know those histories impacted our people in a way that you know we need to start picking ourselves up and uplifting each other. You know, there's lots of traumas and we see these things called like intergenerational and lateral violence against each other. But as a young person, I'm just like, there's lots of room for all of us. Why not uplift uplift and support each other in ways that we can, in ways that we are able to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, breaking the cycle, right? Yeah, breaking cycles is important. On my mom's side, seven generations, you know, died from alcoholism, alcoholism, you know, I did that in my family history. And, you know, my mom still struggles too from from her, uh, from her experiences. And so when we found out that we were having a baby uh, almost like over four years ago now that me and my partner made that decision to not do that anymore. We don't, we don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't, you know, we don't really gamble either. We're not big on that either. <laughs> and my stepdad was a gambler, and he, you know, that affected our family too. We couldn't buy milk that week or whatever, you know. So, I've seen the struggle, and I've seen how it affects families, and like personally. So, I told myself I don't want that for my kids, and I want to break that cycle now. Now that you're in the process of reclaiming culture and language, what has that experience been like for you, for someone who grew up outside of it, and now that you're kind of immersing and starting to put those steps in order so that your kids can thrive in the language and in the culture? I think it's, I don't know, it's the importance of it and honoring for my children now they have a right to knowing that stuff. They have a right to know where they came from and what their culture is just as much as any other person and culture in the world. You know, we were so legislated and we were so, you know, like so many things were used against our own people that that told us to not do these things and to not celebrate who we are. And so I think that's important and they have a right to know and reclaim all that stuff. And I'm trying to do that work now so that they don't have to do as much work later, right? So I think that's the importance of learning and what can we do for our future generations. And we put in the work now so they don't have to suffer and work as harder later. And I think that's a generational thing. You see that in other families of different cultures. And and I think we need to reflect more on how we can raise our babies in a better way. This passion and drive that you have for creating a better life for your children, is that drive something that, you know, push you towards like youth nonprofits and being like a youth chief sort of thing? Is that what kind of pushed you in that direction? Absolutely. I, uh, I started in a program called the Youth Reconciliation Initiative, and they taught us all these facilitation trainings, and they made us do Indigenous awareness trainings. And I think that really opened my eyes at a young age that, you know, these are things that need to be taught and continue to be taught. You know, that really drived myself to be a bigger voice. You know, I found out that my ancestors, they were directly affected by this, and I'm a direct descendant, and I'm I'm the product of the system that they, they tried to force upon us. And, 
you know, I was raised urban. I saw that. And, you know, some days I wished I was grew up on the res <laughs> with my with people who knew that they were Anishinaabe, the people who knew I didn't know I was Cree until much later. And like, I always kind of hinted. And just this year, I found out I always thought I was Oji Cree, Ojibwe half Cree. Um, but I found out I'm 100% Cree, that I'm just no Ojibwe ancestry, I guess. And so that was something I had to reclaim and check myself for. And so following those teachings, I think, and learning, I, I, the aspect of these learnings throughout my years of working in, with Indigenous youth, so many Indigenous young people have such strong voices and they're so passionate and they want to share these stories like I am today and and I feel like the, those youth voices are so valid and they need to be heard as well. Um, I know so many young people across Canada that are doing this work in their own way. And I really respect them and I admire them and I look up to other young people in, in Canada that I've met throughout my journeys. And yeah, eventually, recently, I was in a youth leadership position. I was a youth chief for the Southern Chiefs Organization for two years from 2021 to 2023 of this year. And I thought, well, it was a great chance for me to try and uplift and bring opportunities for young people to reconnect and learn and meet other like-minded young people that are doing the same work across Manitoba. And I've done that work for another organization called Canadian Roots Exchange prior to that. And they originally was, were grassroots level, but I held national youth conferences. I think the biggest one I've held was 350 youth from across Canada. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh, in Sudbury, I think. And, you know, it's a little small town in Ontario, but we, at Laurentian University, we had it. We brought all these youth from all different, prov every province and territory across Canada to talk about this issue on reconciliation and what that means. I think that's my part is just, you know, crane clans, they bring um, outside people in to make those connections, to make those um, allyships and you know, I really stepped into that role and I'm reflecting now thinking like that was my role. I brought people in to have these discussions. And I think it's more important to create those spaces and for other people and other organizations to hold space to have those conversations. And what I've learned along all those journeys and hearing survivor stories firsthand and sharing and them telling me these teachings, we need to learn how to grieve properly because I don't think that was ever taught how to grieve, but also how to celebrate. I think those are two very different teachings that we need to like harness for ourselves as young people. I, the most important thing that they told me is just go and sit with your survivors. Just go and listen to them, you know. Text them, message them nowadays. Um, <laughs> I had somebody get a hold of me on Facebook yesterday, and she was an elder, and <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> And, but they want to share their stories, and, you know, a lot of them are getting older, and so we need to reconnect with them now and, you know, honor their stories and their histories, too. We need to keep, keep those stories forward and keep sharing them with our kids, too, so they remember. So we hear the word reconciliation a lot, whether that is the National Truth and Reconciliation Day and the 93 calls to action from the TRC. Just from your perspective, what does reconciliation mean and what does it look like? For me, as a Cree woman and as a young person with a, a family, I, 
For me, I've been talking a lot about uh, kinship, kinship roles and responsibilities, and how do we step into these healthy roles to support our community members. For me, it looks like reconnecting from my daughter and doing all these things to learn our culture and our practices and our protocols in order to keep those traditions alive. Reconciliation, I think, is a funny word for us because, you know, what did we do wrong in in the context of history? <laughs> we were just living here and they wanted to live here. So I think there's a role for ourselves to heal within our own communities and to find, figure out what that means to heal. Kinship means like, you know, being a good uncle. Being a good uncle is being that strong male role model in the communities and being that person that you look up to, you know, for the young men and the boys and, you know, teach them how to grow their hair long and teach them, you know, how to respect our women and how to protect them. You know, our men are supposed to be pro- protectors and providers originally and you know this that those kinship roles have been lost on our people and especially for mothers and aunties and I think the same we need to raise up our babies in a good way and raise them up knowing you know our to practice our traditions and to practice you know our skills and our crafts and things like that you know I've been talking a lot about these roles of you know, aunties. Aunties are supposed to be the ones that have already raised children and that know how to raise our children in a good way. They're not just an auntie with kids. If you have kids, you're a mother, and your mother role should be taken seriously because you were gifted that child. I've heard from elders that that is the importance of learning our roles and responsibilities and learning how to for our young women, there's a berry fast, and you go a whole year without, without eating berries, and that's um, something that you give up for yourself, and you learn how to love yourself. And for our men, they go on vision quests. You know, they, they get answers through those quests of who they are as a young man. And so I think those, from what I've been told by the elders and survivors, is those are the next things that we need to reclaim for ourselves. That's reconciliation for our people anyway. For the rest of Canadian society, is just to not deny things and to not be ignorant. That's a huge issue. And education, too. <laughs> I think education is the key. It caused this issue with the IRS, and so education is the key to moving forward. What does reconciliation look like from the aspect of allies, people who are learning about you know the IRS, um, how the governments and things treated mm-hmm. uh, indigenous folks, co- the effects of colonization. What does it look like to be a good ally? Yeah, I've been thinking about this too recently. I think that you know, for, coming from a nonprofit background, also as a, a business owner myself, I think economic reconciliation is huge. How do we uplift and give back indigenous people the power that was taken away from them? You know, or legislated not to, you know, not to farm, not to do these things, not to, couldn't own businesses, we couldn't vote for a long time. And I think that, you know, as allies who have that power and have that opportunity and have, you know, the funding to do so, to partner up with an Indigenous person that knows business and, you know, create economic growth within our community so that we can sustain ourselves for a long period of time for, you know, longevity of our people. And for ourselves, too, is, um, you know, t- why can't we have, like, 
an indigenous owned coffee shop on the res. Like I see a lot of franchises popping up, but I feel like, you know, we need to be self-starters in that sense. You know, uh, donations to nonprofits that are doing this work. You know, I think economic reconciliation is a huge aspect to this term, this word reconciliation (laughs) with everything political too going on, like be our allies and support each other and, you know, stand up for ourselves. And, you know, we rally a lot, show up to the rallies. (laughs) We... You know, we let we were legislated constantly, and you know, if you're a person in political power, be that ally for our First Nations people as well. You know, there's an econ- economic aspect. There's also political aspect in Canada here. So, I feel like all those, the people who can share our stories and defend us when we're not around, I think that's super important as well. We stand up for ourselves. Um, and stand up for us and say, hey, like that wasn't right what had happened. And I think you need to educate yourself more on this topic as an ally, I think, to another non-Indigenous person. I think that's really important. Well, thank you, Deandra, for taking this time (laughs) to share with me. I'd like to just touch a little bit about some of your interests that you were mentioning in our email. You're talking about your background is in film and media. So tell me a little bit about that. What first interested you in there? So growing up, you know, I didn't like being at home. I was one of those kids that always signed up for all their extracurricular, whatever free activities and programs that were out there. And so I think around in grade six, I got involved in like a theater class. And then that led me to probably, I studied theater and acting and arts like that for about six plus years throughout my whole middle school, high school career. Every day after school, three days a week, I'd go, you know, Manitoba Theater for Young People at the Forks. That's where I was. Um, I was, I also played lots of soccer for six years too. I, you know, I signed up for extracurricular curriculars. Um, in grade 11, I won a national business plan competition. And so that intrigued me in business. And, you know, back then it was about a website that promoted indigenous youth learning more about indigenous cultures and histories. <laughs> so that one, I think I, competed against 500 other youth groups from across Canada that submitted for this. um, Back then it was called East Spirit and it was ran through the business development uh, of Canada. And I thought that was such a cool thing at such a young age. And then the next year I competed in Vegas in an international business plan competition with the same idea. Early on that really intrigued me, being a self-starter. You know, and then, so I went to Tech Vogue growing up because that was like the um, central school. Um, they had a broadcasting and media arts program. From theater and from acting classes growing up, I wanted to know what the technical aspects of things were. And so I think that really started my passion for, you know, being a storyteller. Our people were storytellers. And so in this new age of using traditions and mixing with technology, I think it's such a cool way that we can, you know, record our stories and our histories now so that we could share them with the future. Because we're oral people, we're oral storytellers, and all our teachings are through oral stories. And so I feel like this is a great way to capture things and you retain this information that we're losing. You got to utilize the tools that are available, right? Exactly. Utilize the tools. Well, that's what they wanted us to do 
there's a Louis Riel quote, right, about the arts and, you know, I, I don't know the quote direct offhand, but he said, use their tools and their education and build yourself up, basically is what it meant. And, you know, I really felt that. And so, you know, I did the whole nonprofit route. I also worked in government a lot. I worked for the city of Winnipeg. I worked for Wab Canoe. I knocked on every door and on his constituency at one point. I, you know, I've been in lots of federal meetings. I did the whole bureaucracy route for a long time. And I found out that that quite wasn't for me. In that youth leadership position that I was in with SEO, I felt like I learned a lot about leadership roles. And like, I'm a very emotional person. I do things from my heart. And I felt like you know, those boxes weren't quite checking for me. You know, just recently I wanted to start reconnecting with my community and with film and media arts and passion. So my partner and I, we started uh, a graphic design and a media arts business called Buffalo Hyde Creative. And, you know, eventually we want to do a studio. We want to do, you know, programming for Indigenous youth to learn these things that I was so interested in as, as a young person. And these things kept me off the streets. These things kept me busy after school. And so I didn't fall into those lifestyles again. You know, and they were culturally appropriate programs for Indigenous young people. And so I always felt that that was what was needed. And, you know, that's that's justice, too. That's prevention. And I think that's good for, for our kids to get into more of those things. And more of those things need to be funded now. We see so many of our kids being lost to drugs and things on the streets and violence nowadays. Like, they're getting so much younger in these news reports. And I just feel so bad because we need to do more for our, our kids. And I always say, I've shared this with survivors before, but, you know, when they took all the kids away to residential school, there was no kids left in the communities. And so we don't know how to interact with our youth anymore and our young people. And so I've told survivors this, you need to be kinder and gentler and use better approaches when it comes to our young people. Because we're learning and we're trying to reclaim things that were taken. And they need to share with us more. They need to, you know, they need to pass down their knowledge and not hold it and not to pass away with it because we need that now. And we need that support. We need to know that we're welcomed and that we're loved and that we're needed because you know, at one point I was, you know, just quiet. No kids in the community isn't quiet. And so the older people would just sit around and they wouldn't know what to do when their kids were gone. And so I think that's an important part of reclamation as well. What is the saying? It takes a village, right? It takes a village, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for sharing your truth, sharing your story with mm-hmm. us. Is there any words of conclusion or ending that you'd like to share? Yeah, as a young person, I encourage other listeners to, you know, share your knowledge, even if you're a young person. But if you're an older person, pass that down. I feel like as a young person, learn where you come from. Learn about the people and the lineages that you come from, because that tells you way more about your identity than anything else. And anybody else can tell you who you are. Only you can find out who you are. And there's this quote that I always like to share. You can't know where you're going until you know where you've been. And I've heard that before from survivors. I've heard that before just in life in general. And I feel like that's very valid. And, you know, knowing who our people were and knowing who you came from in order to know where you're going. And so 
knowing who you are can lead you on your path. Umulticultural is located on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the national homeland of the Red River Métis. With Umulticultural, I'm Ryan Funk. <laughs>